0: section nine of signs of change by william morris this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by deborah Braben. useful work versus useless toil part two it is this system therefore which we must be resolute in getting rid of if we are to attain to happy and useful work for all the first step towards making labour attractive is to get the means of making labour fruitful the capital including the land machinery factories etc into the hands of the community, to be used for the good of all alike, so that we might all work at supplying the real demands of each and all. That is to say, work for livelihood, instead of working to supply the demand of the profit market, instead of working for profit, i.e. the power of compelling other men to work against their will. When this first step has been taken, and men begin to understand that nature wills all men either to work or starve, And when they are no longer such fools as to allow some the alternative of stealing when this happy day is come we shall then be relieved from the tax of waste and consequently shall find that we have as aforesaid a mass of labour-power available which will enable us to live as we please within reasonable limits we shall no longer be hurried and driven by the fear of starvation which at present presses no less on the greater part of men in civilized communities than it does on mere savages the first and most obvious necessities will be so easily provided for in a community in which there is no waste of labour that we shall have time to look round and consider what we really do want that can be obtained without overtaxing our energies for the often expressed fear of mere idleness falling upon us when the force supplied by the present hierarchy of compulsion is withdrawn is a fear which is but generated by the burden of excessive and repulsive labour which we most of us have to bear at present I say once more that, in my belief, the first thing which we shall think so necessary as to be worth sacrificing some idle time for will be the attractiveness of labour. No very heavy sacrifice will be required for attaining this object, but some will be required. For we may hope that men who have just waded through a period of strife and revolution will be the last to put up long with a life of mere utilitarianism, though socialists are sometimes accused by ignorant persons of aiming at such a life on the other hand the ornamental part of modern life is already rotten to the core and must be utterly swept away before the new order of things is realized there is nothing of it there is nothing which could come of it that could satisfy the aspirations of men set free from the tyranny of commercialism we must begin to build up the ornamental part of life its pleasures bodily and mental scientific and artistic social and individual on the basis of work undertaken willingly and cheerfully with the consciousness of benefiting ourselves and our neighbours by it. Such absolutely necessary work as we should have to do, would in the first place take up but a small part of each day, and so far would not be burdensome, but it would be a task of daily recurrence, and therefore would spoil our day's pleasure unless it were made at least endurable while it lasted. In other words, all labour, even the commonest, must be made attractive." how can this be done is the question the answer to which will take up the rest of this paper in giving some hints on this question i know that while all socialists will agree with many of the suggestions made some of them may seem to some strange and venturesome these must be considered as being given without any intention of dogmatizing and as merely expressing my own personal opinion from all that has been said already it follows that labour to be attractive must be directed towards some obviously useful end unless in cases where it is undertaken voluntarily by each individual as a pastime. This element of obvious usefulness is all the more to be counted on in sweetening tasks otherwise irksome, since social morality, the responsibility of man towards the life of man, will, in the new order of things, take the place of theological morality, or the responsibility of man to some abstract idea. Next, the day's work will be short, this need not be insisted on it is clear that with work unwasted it can be short it is clear also that much work which is now a torment would be easily endurable if it were much shortened variety of work is the next point and a most important one to compel a man to do day after day the same task without any hope of escape or change means nothing short of turning his life into a prison torment nothing but the tyranny of profit grinding makes this necessary a man might easily learn and practice at least three crafts, varying sedentary occupation without door, occupation calling for the exercise of strong bodily energy, for work in which the mind had more to do. There are few men, for instance, who would not wish to spend part of their lives in the most necessary and pleasantest of all work, cultivating the earth. One thing which will make this variety of employment possible will be the form that education will take in a socially ordered community. At present, all education is directed towards the end of fitting people to take their places in the hierarchy of commerce, these as masters, those as workmen. The education of the masters is more ornamental than that of the workmen, but it is commercial still, and even at the ancient universities, learning is but little regarded unless it can in the long run be made to pay. Due education is a totally different thing from this, and concerns itself in finding out what different people are fit for, and helping them along the road which they are inclined to take in a duly ordered society therefore young people would be taught such handicrafts as they had a turn for as part of their education the discipline of their minds and bodies and adults would also have opportunities of learning in the same schools for the development of individual capacities would be of all things chiefly aimed at by education instead of as an hour of the subordination of all capacities to the great end of money-making for oneself or one's master the amount of talent and even genius which the present system crushes and which would be drawn out by such a system would make our daily work easy and interesting under this head of variety i will note one product of industry which has suffered so much from commercialism that it can scarcely be said to exist and is indeed so foreign from our epoch that I fear there are some who will find it difficult to understand what I have to say on the subject, which I nevertheless must say, since it is really a most important one. I mean that side of art which is or ought to be done by the ordinary workman while he is about his ordinary work, and which has got to be called very properly popular art. This art, I repeat, no longer exists now, having been killed by commercialism, but from the beginning of man's contest with nature till the rise of the present capitalistic system it was alive and generally flourished while it lasted everything that was made by man was adorned by man just as everything made by nature is adorned by her the craftsman as he fashioned the thing he had under his hand ornamented it so naturally and so entirely without conscious effort that it is often difficult to distinguish where the mere utilitarian part of his work ended and the ornamental began Now the origin of this art was the necessity that the workman felt for variety in his work, and though the beauty produced by this desire was a great gift to the world, yet the obtaining variety and pleasure in the work by the workman was a matter of more importance still, for it stamped all labour with the impress of pleasure. All this has now quite disappeared from the work of civilization. If you wish to have ornament you must pay specially for it, and the workman is compelled to produce ornament as he is to produce other wares he is compelled to pretend happiness in his work so that the beauty produced by man's hand which was once a solace to his labour has now become an extra burden to him and ornament is now but one of the follies of useless toil and perhaps not the least irksome of its fetters besides the short duration of labour its conscious usefulness and the variety which should go with it there is another thing needed to make it attractive and that is pleasant surroundings the misery and squalor which we people of civilization bear with so much complacency as a necessary part of the manufacturing system is just as necessary to the community at large as a proportionate amount of filth would be in the house of a private rich man if such a man were to allow the cinders to be raked all over his drawing-room and a privy to be established in each corner of his dining-room If he habitually made a dust and refuse heap of his once beautiful garden, never washed his sheets or changed his tablecloth, and made his family sleep five in a bed, he would surely find himself in the claws of a commission de lunatico. But such acts of miserly folly are just what our present society is doing daily, under the compulsion of a supposed necessity, which is nothing short of madness. I beg you to bring your commission of lunacy against civilization without more delay.' For all our crowded towns and bewildering factories are simply the outcome of the profit system capitalistic manufacture capitalistic landowning and capitalistic exchange force men into big cities in order to manipulate them in the interests of capital the same tyranny contracts the due space of the factory so much that for instance the interior of a great weaving shed is almost as ridiculous a spectacle as it is a horrible one There is no other necessity for all this save the necessity for grinding profits out of men's lives, and of producing cheap goods for the use and subjection of the slaves who grind. All labour is not yet driven into factories. Often where it is, there is no necessity for it save again the profit tyranny. People engaged in all such labour need by no means be compelled to pig together in close city quarters. There is no reason why they should not follow their occupations in quiet country homes, in industrial colleges, in small towns, or, in short, where they find it happiest for them to live. As to that part of labour which must be associated on a large scale, this very factory system, under a reasonable order of things, though to my mind there might still be drawbacks to it, would at least offer opportunities for a full and eager social life, surrounded by many pleasures." The factories might be centres of intellectual activity also, and work in them might well be varied very much. The tending of the necessary machinery might to each individual be but a short part of the day's work. The other work might vary from raising food from the surrounding country to the study and practice of art and science. It is a matter, of course, that people engaged in such work, and being the masters of their own lives, would not allow any hurry or want of foresight force them into enduring dirt, disorder, or want of room. Science, duly applied, would enable them to get rid of refuse, to minimise, if not wholly to destroy, all the inconveniences which at present attend the use of elaborate machinery, such as smoke, stench, and noise. Nor would they endure that the buildings in which they worked or lived should be ugly blots on the fair face of the earth, beginning by making their factories, buildings, and sheds decent and convenient like their homes, they would infallibly go on to make them, not merely negatively good, inoffensive merely, but even beautiful, so that the glorious art of architecture, now for some time slain by commercial greed, would be born again, and flourish. So, you see, I claim that work in a duly ordered community should be made attractive by the consciousness of usefulness, by its being carried on with intelligent interest, by variety, and by its being exercised amidst pleasurable surroundings. But I have also claimed, as we all do, that the day's work should not be wearisomely long. It may be said, how can you make this last claim square with the others? If the work is to be so refined, will not the goods made be very expensive? I do admit, as I have said before, that some sacrifice will be necessary in order to make labour attractive i mean that if we could be contented in a free community to work in the same hurried dirty disorderly heartless way as we do now we might shorten our day's labour very much more than i suppose we shall do taking all kinds of labour into account but if we did it would mean that our new one freedom of condition would leave us listless and wretched if not anxious as we are now which i hold is simply impossible we should be contented to make the sacrifices necessary for raising our condition to the standard called out for as desirable by the whole community nor only so we should individually be emulous to sacrifice quite freely still more of our time and our ease towards the raising of the standard of life persons either by themselves or associated for such purposes would freely and for the love of the work and for its results stimulated by the hope of the pleasure of creation produce those ornaments of life for the service of all, which they are now bribed to produce or pretend to produce for the service of a few rich men. The experiment of a civilized community living wholly without art or literature has not yet been tried. The past degradation and corruption of civilization may force this denial of pleasure upon the society which will arise from its ashes. If that must be we will accept the passing phase of utilitarianism as a foundation for the art which is to be. If the cripple and the starveling disappear from our streets, if the earth nourish us all alike, if the sun shine for all of us alike, if to one and all of us the glorious drama of the earth, day and night, summer and winter, can be presented as a thing to understand and love, we can afford to wait a while till we are purified from the shame of the past corruption, until art arises again amongst people freed from the terror of the slave and the shame of the robber. Meantime, in any case, the refinement, thoughtfulness, and deliberation of labour must indeed be paid for, but not by compulsion to labour long hours. Our epoch has invented machines which would have appeared wild dreams to the men of past ages, and of those machines we have as yet made no use. They are called labour-saving machines." a commonly used phrase which implies what we expect of them, but we do not get what we expect. What they really do is to reduce the skilled labourer to the ranks of the unskilled, to increase the number of the reserve army of labour, that is, to increase the precariousness of life among the workers, and to intensify the labour of those who serve the machines as slaves their masters. All this they do, by the way, while they pile up the profits of the employers of labour, or force them to expend those profits in bitter commercial war with each other. In a true society, these miracles of ingenuity would be for the first time used for minimizing the amount of time spent in unattractive labor, which by their means might be so reduced as to be but a very light burden on each individual all the more as these machines would most certainly be very much improved when it was no longer a question as to whether their improvement would pay the individual but rather whether it would benefit the community so much for the ordinary use of machinery which would probably after a time be somewhat restricted when men found out that there was no need for anxiety as to mere subsistence and learned to take an interest and pleasure in handiwork which done deliberately and thoughtfully could be made more attractive than machine work Again, as people free from the daily terror of starvation find out what they really wanted, being no longer compelled by anything but their own needs, they would refuse to produce the mere inanities which are now called luxuries, or the poison and trash now called cheap wares. No one would make plush breeches when there were no flunkies to wear them, nor would anybody waste his time over making oleomargarine when no one was compelled to abstain from real butter. Adulteration laws are only needed in a society of thieves, and in such a society they are a dead letter. Socialists are often asked how work of the rougher and more repulsive kind could be carried out in the new condition of things. To attempt to answer such questions fully or authoritatively would be attempting the impossibility of constructing a scheme of a new society out of the materials of the old, before we knew which of those materials would disappear and which endure through the evolution which is leading us to the great change yet it is not difficult to conceive of some arrangement whereby those who did the roughest work should work for the shortest spells and again what is said above of the variety of work applies specially here once more i say that for a man to be the whole of his life hopelessly engaged in performing one repulsive and never-ending task is an arrangement fit enough for the hell imagined by theologians but scarcely fit for any other form of society lastly if this rougher work were of any special kind we may suppose that special volunteers would be called on to perform it which would surely be forthcoming unless men in a state of freedom should lose the sparks of manliness which they possessed as slaves and yet if there be any work which cannot be made other than repulsive either by the shortness of its duration or the intermittency of its recurrence, or by the sense of special and peculiar usefulness and therefore honour in the mind of the man who performs it freely, if there be any work which cannot be but a torment to the worker, what then? Well, then, let us see, if the heavens will fall on us if we leave it undone, for it were better that they should. The produce of such work cannot be worth the price of it. Now we have seen that the semi-theological dogma that all labour, under any circumstances, is a blessing to the labourer, is hypocritical and false, that on the other hand labour is good when due hope of rest and pleasure accompanies it. We have weighed the work of civilization in the balance and found it wanting, since hope is mostly lacking to it, and therefore we see that civilization has bred a dire curse for men but we have seen also that the work of the world might be carried on in hope and with pleasure, if it were not wasted by folly and tyranny, by the perpetual strife of opposing classes. It is peace, therefore, which we need, in order that we may live and work in hope and with pleasure, peace, so much desired if we may trust men's words, but which has been so continually and steadily rejected by them in deeds. But for us, Let us set our hearts on it, and win it at whatever cost. What the cost may be, who can tell? Will it be possible to win peace peaceably? Alas, how can it be? We are so hemmed in by wrong and folly, that in one way or other we must always be fighting against them. Our own lives may see no end to the struggle, perhaps no obvious hope of the end. It may be that the best we can hope to see is that struggle getting sharper and bitterer day by day, until it breaks out openly at last into the slaughter of men by actual warfare, instead of by the slower and crueler methods of peaceful commerce. If we live to see that, we shall live to see much, for it will mean the rich classes grown conscious of their own wrong and robbery, and consciously defending them by open violence. And then the end will be drawing near. But in any case, and whatever the nature of our strife for peace may be, if we only aim at it steadily and with singleness of heart, and ever keep it in view, a reflection from that peace of the future will illumine the turmoil and trouble of our lives, whether the trouble be seemingly petty or obviously tragic, and we shall, in our hopes at least, live the lives of men. Nor can the present times give us any reward greater than that. End of section 9